0: Hello, and welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I am your co-host, Jack rossiter Mumley.
1: And I am your other co-host, Connor mciver Stratton.
0: And we are here today to talk about a poem. We will read the poem, talk about it, and read the poem again, discussing in-depth, looking at all the different intricacies that make that little Swiss watch of a written work tick. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's
1: one way to do it. That's one way to put it.
0: Yeah! uh perhaps unfair because poems are meant to just be experienced they're not machines that keep exact time they're wild and
1: william carlos williams did say that poems were machines with words
0: before we get into the poem a quick reminder that it means the world to us when we get ratings and reviews over on the iTunes store and in Apple Podcasts which is another name for the iTunes store now um you can hop over there it's the best way to help us find new listeners because it bumps us up the algorithms and yeah, we love getting new ratings and reviews. We've been getting a couple, and we like it. It's cool.
1: It's the best. It is um, the best. It
0: actually is the best because it it's nice.
1: Also, I've heard a few people have had trouble figuring out how to write reviews. But if you have trouble, let us know. We can uh, we can figure it out. Apple Podcasts can often be very annoying. And you know, uh, Macs are often known for their uh, virtuosic accessibility, but not always and not in this way. And uh, we here at Close Talking understand that um, things can be very annoying, but we're here for the review and to help you write one.
0: We got you covered. We have a great poem for you today. It is called My Grandmother's House by Well, the author goes by a few different names. Uh, The name under which she did a lot of her writing was her married name, Kamala Das. In 1999, she converted to Islam and thereafter was known as Kamala Saraya, um, but also wrote a lot under the pen name Madhavikati. So a lot of different names for one very cool woman.
1: Yeah, she was born in Kerala, which is a state in India, sort of south, southern India. Um, But then she also lived growing up in Calcutta, which is in northeast India. Um, And I think she grew up Hindu, but then when um, she converted to Islam uh, later.
0: Yeah, and she was 65 when she converted um and subsequently 10 years later in 2009 she passed away at the age of 75
1: and she kind of well, she she it seemed like she got going in a writing career I mean she I think it seemed like she wrote for you know a young early age but one of her big books I think was called my story which was kind of it was a ostensibly an autobiography but it seemed like there was uh, a loose memoir maybe would be the now what we would call it uh there was some some fictionalized aspects to it but that was in i think 1975 or something that it came out um and yeah she was uh, just a very prominent um feminist voice in the uh indian literary scene uh, even though she did not use the term feminist for herself apparently um but she was kind of known for being, uh, writing openly about women's sexuality and women's desires, uh, in ways that, um, you know, were often considered taboo.
0: It's true. And she did that writing in a lot of different forms, which is cool. So you were mentioning the, the work that got her a lot of early notoriety was this kind of loose memoir at the time marketed as an autobiography with some liberties taken, but she also was known for writing essays and novels. She wrote a lot of poems, and she also had a syndicated column for a while. So she was kind of a prominent, almost like a public intellectual type figure, I would say. Um, and her notoriety, I think, has only grown over time. Uh, on February 1st, 2018, she had a Google Doodle.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, This, but this poem, uh, My Grandmother's House, comes from, I think, actually, her first book of any genre, uh, Summer in Calcutta, Collection of Poetry, which came out in 1965.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, And she, independent of this poem, has talked about her relationship with her grandmother, and her grandmother's house was also kind of like uh, a center for the family, and I think her great-grandmother also lived there, and so it was this space Uh, that was really meaningful for her. And she's talked also in, there's a, we'll post a link to this, but there's a reading she did on, and a clip of it is on YouTube in which she talks about how her grandmother was her favorite human being. And so it was a very meaningful relationship. And this poem in addition to being about the house gets into that a little bit. So without further ado, My Grandmother's House by Kamala Saraya. There is a house now far away where once I received love. That woman died. The house withdrew into silence. Snakes moved among books. I was then too young to read and my blood turned cold like the moon. How often I think of going there to peer through the blind eyes of windows or just listen to the frozen air or in wild despair, pick an armful of darkness to bring it here to lie behind my bedroom door like a brooding dog. You cannot believe, darling, can you, that I lived in such a house and was proud and loved. I who have lost my way and beg now at strangers' doors to receive love, at least in small change. Whew. Yeah. Yeah, This film is intense. It is very intense. Uh, I think a little deceptively intense. Yeah. I Cause it's not right. like it hits you over the head with any big gruesome images or any real violence of any sort. Yeah. I think that's really right. It, it kind of just, it's one that I
1: found myself like reading and then thinking about later after reading it. And it kind of sticks. There's something peculiar about the structure of the poem that like, is kind of haunting in a way, perhaps. Um, but yeah, uh, we often do a little summary of the poem. we um, little play by play. But in this poem, My Grandmother's House, the speaker is talking about uh, the house where grandmother lived. And is kind of like explaining the history. Uh, the woman died. And then sort of when the grandmother died, things sort of went south, went sour, got dark. Um, And then the speaker's kind of thinking about how often I think of going there, just sort of imagining returning to the home. Um, And this home was very important. It's where she received love. Um, And then at the end, the speaker sort of addresses a you that um, had not before appeared in the poem and is like, you know, um, I bet you, can't believe that once I had love and was proud, and you know that, um, because now basically I'm a beggar and I go to strangers' houses and I ask for love, uh, and, and then she says at least um, in small change. So it's like getting, you know, coins uh, as as a proxy for love or something. Um, that's kind of at least most of the, the plot that I
0: sort of read into it. Agreed. And the overhang of all of it is this sense of memory and remembrance that is not in, you know, it's not really in the narrative, but as another aspect of sort of the overlay of the poem, I feel like that is there at all times. You kind of feel that running through everything that's happening is this sense of what was Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um yeah, I'm curious
1: uh I'm curious what sort of draw you drew you to the poem initially, like um because it, it there's yeah, there's just so many different things that struck me when I was reading it. And I'm I'm curious like what the initial or the immediate kind of like oh, this is one we gotta this is one I gotta look into. There were two
0: things one is the title and the idea of the use of the house in poems and songs and I've I've become increasingly curious about that as like I guess you would say as a device but I almost it's like a combination of a device and a subject often when it is used and I find that really interesting and I'm curious about it because so many, Sort of capital T things that are deployed in poems or songs are like kind of known, discussed. So I think, you know, it's not a comparison I'm trying to draw, but we talk about the capital B body, the body, which gets a lot of interrogation and conversation around it. But I think the, and I've been realizing as I was reading this poem, I started thinking about the idea of the capital H house and how that operates. Because often what we think about when we talk about something like that is the idea of like, house versus home, not a house or the house as a discrete subject, but what makes a home and why is a home different from a house and what do you imbue the space with to make this house a home? Um, But I am interested in the idea of the house and how that operates here. And I was thinking of, of a lot of different house and home related works, um, a couple of which we've discussed, which are, you know, Abandoned Farmhouse by Ted Couser, Homeless Heart by John Ashbery, which is home, not house, but the way that he discusses physical structure in that is kind of similar to what I am thinking about going on here. There's also Robert Louis Stevenson's My House I Say, where he says it's his house, but then he talks about all these living things that also feel a sense of ownership over it. Uh, And then a couple of songs that came to mind (laughs) loath to mention (laughs) who might they be by jack hey guess what not who you expect except one of them is who you expect (laughs) um there is bruce springsteen's my father's house which was because it's him the first thing that came to mind but also because that song is about returning to a house that was meaningful in his case it's like bad as opposed to in this one where it's like a, a place of love and connection and and healthy emotions. (laughs) Um, He introduced that at a concert one time talking about how he had this habit of driving around his old neighborhood and he did it over and over again, a couple times a week for years. And he finally went to a therapist and was like, why am I doing this? And the therapist was like, something went wrong. You're trying to go back to fix it and you can't. And he was like, oh yeah, that is what I'm doing. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Anyway. uh, But then I also thought of the Jimi Hendrix song red house where the house And what's going on in it is this sort of stand-in for just like passion and love and lust. Uh, Also an excuse for him to go ham on a guitar for like 15 minutes in live shows. So that's always good. But uh, just like that, Jimi Hendrix also got me thinking about just how broad the idea of what the house can hold is. And I'm interested in how that kind of house structure is operating in this poem. And then there was also the specific passage in the poem that that's the other reason that I really wanted to talk about it, where it says, uh, or in wild despair, pick an armful of darkness to bring it here to lie behind my bedroom door like a brooding dog. And that was just, there's a lot of really cool images and ideas going on in the poem, but that leapt out to me so much. I was just like, we got to talk about this. Um, but we can get that to, in, to that in, in a minute. I don't know what your thoughts are about houses and a house and how that's working in this poem, but I've gotten a little bit hung up on that idea.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. Just to add some more, uh, references to the old toolkit. Um, there's a great Gwendolyn Brooks poem called my grandmother is waiting for me to come home. Um, and it's just it's also about grandmothers so um but that one is is like sort of describing the it's interesting because the poem sort of describes the house and the grandmother like as not the same thing but like linked sort of inextricably um and it's just a really positive just like um yeah, the the end of it is she is warm, wide, and long. She laughs and she lingers. Um, which I love. It's sort of actually an interesting counterpoint because in this poem, um, by Kamala Soraya, the the house is gone and is in the past tense, or you know, the house is there, but no longer what it was, um because the grandmother's gone. And in in the the brooks, the everything's in the present tense and is lingering, and there's this kind of sense of you know eternal home there. Um, it also reminds me of this is like quite different, but there's like a subgenre of novel um, called like the big big house novels, uh, which is like mostly Irish literature. Um, Uh, Which is kind of like 18th century, 19th century, um, where there's like a big house in Ireland, where there's a kind of often a decaying like aristocracy, and they're surrounded by um, peasants and stuff, and and but the the novels often you know revolve around this huge house and everything that goes on there, Um, and the house sort of stands in as like a metaphor for whatever um, there's a Elizabeth Bowen as uh, a great Irish novelist from around that time and she has one called it's the last September um, which is a big house novel anyway um, yeah and also it's I mean it makes sense that houses are recurring but you know houses are the subject of horror movies and um they they hold so much uh in so many different uh ways and the depiction of the house in this poem is is really interesting to me um you know after the woman died the house withdrew into silence um which is so interesting and kind of like person right you know it personifies the house as sort of a something that can that was once talking or making noise at some point um and then and and is you just get you get that it's it perfectly sums up how the the it's like the grandmother gave life to the house but the house is like the important site of love, I guess. Um, They're like related to each other, but but different in important ways. Um, And yeah, then I mean, it's so interesting, just the house withdrew into silence, snakes moved among books. I was then too young to read and my blood turned cold like the moon so bizarre uh
0: it's such a fast turn because it goes from something that as you were saying like okay the house recedes the love is not there anymore that's kind of a standard yeah idea or image it also ties into like if you're talking about house versus home and how do you make a house a home it becomes a home but it's not about the time that the grandmother was there when it was her place, it's my grandmother's house, the physical structure. And all of a sudden that structure just becomes filled with these like creepy images. And the speaker suddenly is like frozen in space, like the moon. It's like, it gets so dark and creepy so fast.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that the snakes uh, moved among books, but, she was then. She was too young to read. Um, so it's like the books. I guess it's like because I was just curious to, to mention that she was too young to read. I guess when this was happening. I mean, partly it gives us information about when this happened in the speaker's life. That this was, you know, she she died at a when the speaker was was quite young. Um, but it it like makes it like the books are it's interesting yeah now that you're talking about um house versus home there's the object and then the what's in the object or what the object represents and like the fact that she's too young to read is the books are not things with stories and texts or like places you can go in your imagination or whatever it's a physical object that snakes are like moving around um because she couldn't read they're suddenly quite haunting um or scary or creepy or whatever um and then i i was i mean i didn't know how much to read into this but when her blood turns cold i just was thinking about snakes being cold-blooded uh animals and she i don't know if that's a direct she's not saying she's becoming a snake but there's a there's a She's on un- she underwent a kind of chilling metamorphosis when the grandmother passed away that that was like she was like shocked into by what the house suddenly became, you know. Um,
0: and I think that's an intentional connection that's being made between her and the snake because if you think about it, after that emotional shock, you sort of build a little bit of emotional armor to the world, the way that perhaps a scaled snake has a harder exterior. Um And also saying cold like the moon cold blooded animals, what it means to be cold blooded is that your blood chills when it's cold outside and heats up in the sun they their blood is responsive to that, and so if it's the moon is out and it's nighttime, that's when cold blooded animals are less active because their blood literally cools. that's how it works um and so I think there is a lot going on there that connects her with the snake,
1: yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense um Yeah, and it's interesting now, you know, there's also, there's kind of like three houses-ish in the poem, or like spaces like that, where there's the grandmother's house, then there's, it's implied, but uh, when she says that great line, pick an armful of darkness to bring it here to lie behind my bedroom door like a brooding dog, Um, the bedroom door, we have where the speaker is residing now, right? Um, and then there's the end of the poem which is I who have lost my way and beg now at strangers doors to receive love at least in small change um, so then there's the the kind of houses of strangers uh, that the speaker is is going to yeah I don't know quite what to make of it but I will say one thing with that line that that stuck out to you which is so I mean, just by itself is amazing because I love thinking about just getting a little bit of darkness and, like, picking it up and getting an armful. Like, it's such a great amount of darkness to get is, like, you got to, like, a bushel or something that you're a bushel of darkness that you're carrying, you know, in your arm. Uh, And then transporting that into where she lives now where it's just going to be like a brooding dog, which is also a great. It's like so many figurative leaps, um, but it's weird because it's like the darkness is coming from the old house, and um, that she's doing it in wild despair. But it's still like she wants the darkness with her. It seems like it's. I guess it's confused. It's complicated because it seems like it's such. It's obviously such a negative dark thing, right? It's darkness, it's brooding. Um, She's in despair, yet it's something from the house. It's the only thing that she can get from the house and bring back to her, I guess, to where she lives now. Um, But I wasn't sure what to make of that exactly. Um, I was curious. Yeah, I was curious what you thought about that line.
0: Yeah, I thought about it a lot unsurprisingly, because that's part of what really jumped out at me. And it did jump out at me, as you were saying, because of those figurative leaps that it takes where you start or in wild despair. And all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, where did this dog come from? What's going on? And it just moves so far in those couple of lines. I mean, the fact that it starts off with her thinking about wanting to go back to the house and kind of wanting to get back to this place that once was that no longer exists and will never exist again, basically. And her desire is to even just look at it and listen to the now empty house. And the idea that she's so desperate to bring something of it back that even bringing some of that darkness into her space would be what she wants to do. But the fact that it ends like a brooding dog is just so, such a nice way of articulating what I think the emotional truth is there, which is that sure, you could bring even like the nebulous sense of what that house once was into your present space, but it would be more a reminder of the fact that that's gone now than that it was. And it is that sense of like, you're bringing the darkness, you're bringing the absence that was created in the aftermath more than you're bringing whatever was once there and cannot be reclaimed. And that's why it's a brooding dog or why it's like a brooding dog, because it's not a comfort It's not, you know, a loving dog or a happy dog or any other kind of perfectly reasonable canine companion that you might have in your space making you feel good on a day-to-day basis with their unconditional love. Oh, wow. It's a brooding dog that sits there and is kind of like, not a menacing force, but it is this, you know, for lack of a better term, just dark presence kind of there and it's like, it's not it's not what you think it will be it's not what you thought it once was and it's this because that that is sort of the end point of the middle part of the poem before the transition towards the end where the you is addressed it's kind of putting a button on the idea that like this house and what was once in it is definitively gone
1: yeah yeah that, that makes a lot of sense um, yeah it's like a kind of I feel like we've used this term a lot, but it's a present absence kind of thing where it's um, it's more of a ghost or a haunting, um, not like a nice keepsake kind of thing.
0: No, because it's immediately followed by "You cannot believe, darling, can you?" That I lived in such a house and was proud and loved. That such a house is almost referencing the power of the absence more so than the house itself. It's saying, you can't believe I lived in a place that was so incredible that the fact it was gone was so big.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, which it kind of starts getting at, because yeah, that's, that last part of the poem, there's a lot of questions that I have. Um, but it's structured so I guess like the thing that sticks out to me is the structure of the poem is so interesting because it's like we don't know by the end of the poem we know that the speaker is in a kind of at the very least emotionally impoverished place um seems also somehow like literally impoverished um and is you know begging for coins and you know is in a is in a Bad place, but we don't have any sense of the speaker's present condition is entirely delayed until the end of the poem. And so we're kind of, we start with this memory that takes up most of the poem. Yeah, for some reason th- that interests me because I could see a version of the poem where you sort of begin with the speaker's present. And then they kind of slowly remember the house that they once had or something. Um, And to kind of front load the house, I don't know. I I guess I don't really know what to say about it, except that I was intrigued by the way that the information was laid out uh, to the reader um and then also i think most glaringly the fact that there's no you at all until you know the last quarter of the poem basically um and it's like who is the you is that like a um a kid of the speakers or, or a loved one um like a a spouse or something then you kind of, when you put the you into it, it's like the stakes of the previous part of the poem suddenly feel much different and more intense where like, it's not just the speaker by themselves sort of remembering the house that was wonderful, the grandmother that was wonderful, and how things changed. It's like, I could just, and then this is total reading into it. Nothing, but I just imagine the person being like, "Man, this person that I love, who loves me, pities me, or feels like I'm, a, like hollow, or like I'm in this such pit sad state." And it wasn't always like this, and I need to account for that, I guess, to this person, which even makes it just more sad, I guess. Um, because there's no hope. <laughs> like, there's it's just so it it's the the loss of the grandmother is so total. and like, um the fact that the most the speaker can do is just explain how she got to this sort of horrible condition that she's in now. Again, it's, I, it's like one of those things where I read it the first time. I was like, okay. And the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, geez, this is like pretty brutal. Anyway, I was curious what you thought about the U and and what you thought about just the way the poem's order was. I don't know.
0: Yeah, the lack of specificity in the U is interesting. And it does sort of invite you to read into it however you feel. Um my own take on it, it felt to me like it was a female child and I think the reason I went there is because the poem opens and ends with like where and how do you receive love and so it it just opens up with there's a house now far away where once I received love and it ends with I who have lost my way and beg now at strangers doors to receive love at least in small change and it felt to me like this house that was the grandmother's house was this center of strong empowering female love and by the end i don't know if there's necessarily literal impoverishment even though there's the small change reference made and begging at strangers doors that felt to me more like there was once this place in my life where the women in my family were strong and centered and i was you know brought up feeling that And then at the end, it's almost like that house is gone now, they have died, I've moved out into the world. And the world is a place where I have to constantly seek from strangers one modicum of the love that I once received without thought in that place. And it felt to me like you cannot believe, darling, can you that I lived in such a house and was proud and loved is sort of like, you see me fighting out here in this world you experience this world out here it must be hard for you to believe that there was a place in my life where none of that mattered none of that existed none of that could touch me um that was kind of where i went with it
1: Mm, i like that that makes a lot of sense um and yeah and the fact that there's a kind of like decentering or like a lack of being grounded that happens where suddenly now the love to receive is like dispersed among potentially anybody, but also like nobody really. And so it's this kind of knocking on every door to, to find something. Um, Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, The word receive too is like such an interesting to receive love. Um, I mean, it's not like a crazy word to use. It's like, not like strange on the face of it, but it just could have been like where I had love or where there was love like around me. Um, But it's such a, it's such a, uh, one person giving it to another person and that person getting it and receiving it. Yeah. That, then they don't have. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, like not transactional, but love is um, not like a force that you're around. It's like a thing that can be given to you, I guess. And it's like in the absence of a person to do that, then there's no love, I guess, I don't know.
0: Well, and there also has to be an active choice on the other part, on the part of the other person. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. They have to give it for you to receive it. Because at the beginning, the poem could just as easily open. There is a house now far away where once I was loved. Right. But it's not where once I received love, these were people who, you know, gave it to me. It was an action. They did things that showed me I was loved. Whereas now I have to go out and seek it and work to have it given to me. Whereas they were just doing it.
1: Right. 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 And love is like a noun that is like a thing. And it's not, it's not a verb. I mean, she says it at one point and loved proud and loved, but in those two instances of receiving love, it's not, um, there's an object of love that she does or doesn't have rather than, rather than love
0: being something done to you kind
1: of thing. Um, Yeah. That's
0: interesting. And those two come at the beginning and the end of the poem as well. I also, in reading through it, maybe this happened to you too. um, I got a little bit of Mad Men vibes, some echoes of Don Draper's famous carousel pitch, where he talks about we travel round and and round. Back home again. To a place where we know we are loved while he cravenly shows images of the family he cheats on. Um, which oh, wow. is, is sort of like, I mean, that like there are thematic elements of that that have nothing to do with this, um, but just that particular articulation of nostalgia and a certain kind of pain felt similar. And some of the language almost echoes it as well, I thought.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. I also really like the... Like, well, similar to the darkness, the brooding dog darkness that sort of comes in the end, there's like three things to do at the old house. It's like peer through the blind eyes of windows, listen to the frozen air, or take an armful of darkness. Yeah. And and the, the first two things are like, they're such non, they're limited actions in that the windows are blind, right? Um, And you're so you're looking through things that can't see. Um, And also, I mean, it seems implied that there's you could look through the windows, but there's nothing there beyond that anymore, because the house is not what it was. Um, But then listening to the frozen air, it's like, okay, that's not going to be that noisy, because it's frozen, I guess um so yeah i don't know there's just there's the things that she thinks to do even those are sort of doomed to failure which i thought was interesting
0: it is interesting and it gets back to that i mean there's just no way back to whatever was special there that the house contained the house still exists as this almost like twisted monument to what once was. Cause the, you know, the blind eyes of windows, eyes are the windows to the soul, windows are the eyes of the house or whatever. Um, But like, you know, they've used to be brightly lit eyes that had all of the life within, and now they're blind eyes. It just, at every turn the house is cut off from what it once was though. The fact of its continued existence is also being forefronted. Cause yeah. it's her like walking up to and putting her hands on and looking through the physical structure into the inside of the house. Now that is just, you know, we're led to believe at least is probably there and no one knew has moved in. It's just this, you know, hulking structure, even if it isn't physically large, it feels hulking. Cause it just is built up to be so meaningful.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess there's an interesting way to read it, which may be, is not the way to read a poem, but, um, my wife is in, uh, Sarita she's in social work. So she's learning a lot about, uh, psychology and also family systems and stuff. And one thing that, um, she's learning a lot about, which I have since learned by proxy, um, or at least a little bit of is like the way, you know, I mean the, the, the crude story is just the way that, Childhood things um, You know are deeply impactful on adults uh, their their lives as adults, but in specific ways trauma and childhood trauma uh, and you know, there's this thing called aces or adverse child experiences and it's kind of this uh, study that there's you know, so many things that can happen in childhood you know, neglectful parents, experiencing homelessness, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you catalog those things, um, you it's like very closely correlated to a whole host of issues in adulthood, some of which maybe you'd expect that they're more like mental health, like depression or something like that, but are even also like diabetes or, um, you know, things that you wouldn't necessarily associate like a physical condition with um, like a sort of social situation that happened to you as a kid. Um, and also there's like sort of attachment trauma uh, is like a, a concept where people who have had parents who were either neglectful or abusive or in some kind of way um, because the parent is like the first way a child knows how to form relationships that the way that that relationship is as a kid is like deeply impactful of all future relationships and how the, the person will um, like approach them I guess um, and like there's a there's just like it's interesting this poem seems to embody this kind of attachment trauma one way you could read it where the speaker had this really wonderful close relationship with her grandmother and that was in this house and when she died she was kind of like that relationship was severed suddenly uh and she didn't have she no longer had this centered relationship. And as a consequence, she's looking for love at strangers' doors. Like, there's this kind of, like, um, she, yeah, I don't know. It, it's like that, that moment, that experience has sort of, like, made her ways of finding connection Um, as an adult sort of deeply fraught um, sort of yeah and and one could (laughs) uh, not that poems should be like psychologized but um, I just thought that that was an interesting lens um, to think about it
0: that's that Uh, is really interesting
1: and that also, the, the house is also important because it's it's like, it's the the place, it's the place that holds those formative relationships, I guess, um, and to kind of not have that anymore, um, just like unmoors you or, you know, even though she's at a place like she has a bedroom door, you know, a a new house in adulthood. It's like, can't be a home in this because of like the way that this grandmother's house had been like, you know, irrevocably sort of ruined by the death of the grandmother, I guess
0: totally that's fascinating yeah i mean as you said you don't poems don't need to be psychologized but it can sometimes add an extra layer of possible meaning or just another way of looking at some of the stuff in the poem i think that's really interesting i'm very into it i think this poem just has so much going on in it on, on every level
1: yeah i know it really does should we read it again
0: i think we should my grandmother's house by Kamala Saraya. There's a house now far away where once I received love. That woman died. The house withdrew into silence. Snakes moved among books I was then too young to read, and my blood turned cold like the moon. How often I think of going there, to peer through blind eyes of windows, or just listen to the frozen air. or in wild despair, pick an armful of darkness to bring it here, to lie behind my bedroom door like a brooding dog. You cannot believe, darling, can you, that I lived in such a house and was proud and loved. I, who have lost my way, and beg now at strangers' doors to receive love, at least in small change. Hey everybody, this is Jack again. Thank you so much for listening. This is the part of the show where we tell you all the different ways you can get in touch with us because we love to hear from you. If you have ideas for future episodes, comments on this or any of our past episodes, different readings of poems than the ones that we offered, we want to hear it. Uh, the fastest and easiest way to get in touch with us is on Twitter. The show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. And Connor is at Hot Sauce Boxed. You can also get in touch with us via email if you have lengthier thoughts. Our email address is Close Talking Poetry at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Close Talking. And of course, the very best way to stay up to date on the latest Close Talking happenings is to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Uh, we're also available in addition to iTunes on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next time.